to Carrots and Suffering, a D&D Odyssey. I am Nate. Some say the great, others say generally nice guy. A few say not great. Jury's out. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you found this podcast, or perhaps on iTunes, where lots of people go. It's time to get into it. Last time on Carrots and Suffering. Our heroes held a war room chat about how to avert war in the kingdom. With the Mentors outvoted and on the verge of losing their region status, the kingdom threatens to fall into a house war in which Yennefer Varathy is likely to come out on top. So you think someone is manipulating fairy magic and using it as a weapon? I do, and I also think that they will continue to systematically do so. We can't have that. And this person is using fear to unseat your house and take the power for themselves. Negotiations break down between Leslie Evans and Harriet Mentor Jr., who proposes a marriage contract to Leslie to bring her power into House Mentor. Leslie counters with an offer to bring a powerful wizard in to take over House Mason, and this quickly devolves. And Harriet says, well, what do you think, Leslie? And Leslie says, I don't want the position. And Harriet says, yeah. And Leslie says, and I don't like you. And Harriet says, doesn't seem relevant. House Lunari is elevated to nobility to even the odds of the voting in the upcoming Lord's Council to discuss the defense of the kingdom against the Fetch Menace. Vanessa would be the most natural person to be the Baroness because Melise is more involved in business and removed from politics. The party comes up with a plan that is not terribly satisfying, but it does buy them enough time to take some actions. I say give it a day. Give it this next day. Let Sable talk to Yennefer. You talk to the Frikers. Let Leslie talk to the Masons. Call your Lord's Council the day after. Jalen tries to bring House Evans around to vote for her House Mentor by getting House Mentor's next generation to agree to the plans that the current generation will not. I think what I'm asking is fairly simple. If you give us a legal guild, when the thorns come down, we'll be able to give back to you a specially trained force of thieves, spies, and assassins for interacting with these other kingdoms. Sable learns about a mystic heartrender fairy who lives north of town in a monastery in the Thorns, who might just have Yennefer Varathy's original human heart. Confidentiality and all, but there is a creature that would have all of the terms. He is known as the Heartrender, and the Heartrender specializes in deals of the human heart. Silpha uses her questionable vampire blood magic from House Mason once again, this time to convince Harriet to give Leslie the spymaster title she so desires. And then she says, this was a good conversation. When we meet later today, I suggest that you bring up what we have talked about and cede the spymaster position to Leslie Evans. She rolls a three. <laughs> Ooh. Go Silpha. Okay, let's get into it. What would anyone else like to do this morning? Jalen's got a laundry list. <laughs> Let's take the first item on the list, then we'll start there. She's going to rise early, probably at dawn, and she's going to make her way to the aviary. Okay. And she's going to send a bird to House Evans addressed to the gardener, asking him to prepare some pots and compost and soil. And then she's going to go... You're saying there's a crowd outside, right? You wouldn't call it a crowd, but it is definitely like everybody's nosy neighbor is <laughs> sure. waiting for some pronunciation or some hint about what. Yeah. Actually, she's going to check in with Sable and Silpha before she leaves just to make sure we're all good. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So I guess if we meet up out in the hall, she yeah. says, we've all got our things to do today. Do we want to meet up before we meet back with the mentors? Add a character. This is terrible because Sable is not going to... She doesn't want to tell her friends yet what she's thinking about doing. What? Not here. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> yeah. I think at this point she would just say, I have a number of items to attend to today. Is your day full? It's a bit, but maybe we could meet at the Lunari townhouse for an early dinner before we come back here. Well, I absolutely meet at the Lunaris. That would that would be fine. If that's okay with you, Silpha. Of course. Is your day full as well, Silpha? Yes, I think I should have to have a conversation with Leslie, and we will have to work on seeing to Byron's safety and talking with the Masons. And I have business at my house. Okay. She... Squeezes both of her friends' shoulders and says, good luck. Thank you. And to you, hey, Jalen. Yeah? There was mention of calling in a favor with the Porninos. If the Porninos were to send a detail to our country estate, Lynn would have a perfect excuse to be there. I'm way ahead of you, Silpha. Got it. <laughs> is that something that we want? She looks at Sable. Lynn is involved. Okay. I will try to encourage that. And then she's going to go out into the courtyard, and she's going to look around for Willie, the messenger who came to her before. Yeah, you can find one. Willie, specifically, even. she said, say, hey, Willie, come here. Willie will come running up. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Need you to run to the Poor Nino house again. Tell them I'll be there this afternoon. Yes, ma'am. And okay, Willie, I want to meet with Lynn, Lady, and Lord Pornino. Oh, uh, yes, ma'am. And she'll flip him a couple of coppers. Willie darts off, thrilled that he appears to have a stable customer. <laughs> she just thinks he's fucking adorable. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's cute as hell. His name's Willie. Willie runs off happily through the snow at a high high pace towards the Porninos. And Sable, what are you after first thing this morning? Well, this one might take a bit. That's okay. I'm going to fly over to the mortuary. The monastery? Monastery. Yes. Fly over to the mortuary. <laughs> There's all the bodies. Well, you can tell Different. where my mind is. It's like, maybe I'm yeah. going to die. Maybe this is a really bad idea and I'm just going to die. Roll me a survival roll. Oh, God. It is daytime, so there's no disadvantage or anything. You're just... Is she, like, going into the thorn line and then turning into something to fly? Yeah. We'll assume you've taken the necessary precautions. Absolutely. I rolled a 14. Okay. So, first thing in the morning... Most predators are not out yet, and so a 14 is sufficient. You can fly over the florins without a big issue. And you see the monastery, and the first thing you notice, this is the first time you've really flown. I'm a hawk, by the way. The first thing you notice as you come across the monastery is you're expecting a vine-thorn-covered complex. Mm -hmm. Instead, there is a small clearing around it that appears to be manually maintained. There are little thorn burn piles. And there's a small garden, and the place looks really well-maintained and lived in. There's no smoke, really. There's a heavy tree line that's disrupting the smoke, so there's really no way to know that there was somebody living out here. But it's clear that there's at least one, if not several, people living here. Before I change back into a human, I'd like to get a good look around. Hawks have pretty good eyes. Go ahead and give me advantage to perception. Okay. If there's a door open to the monastery, she'd go in as well. So first perception is 20. Oh, the second one is a natural 20. Ooh. Oh, boy. Sable's on her game. 
you land, there are three bears, large, burly animals that are moving around, and you notice a couple things about them instantly. One, they do not move like normal bears. In fact, you're pretty sure they're not normal bears. Two, they absolutely have human-level intelligence. And three, there is one other entity who is a small human with blonde hair back in the back of the monastery, and you can smell, even though you haven't gone in to see, that there's some sort of preserved meat smell coming from the monastery. Okay. And you're pretty sure those four creatures, the three bears and the person in the back, is who lives here. Well, if they have human-level intelligence, they're either going to be amazingly violent, in which case I'm going to get the frick out of there, or... They're going to be not violent, and I can actually converse with them. So I'm going to take the chance of turning back into Sable. Okay. You turn into Sable. And immediately say, I have come to talk. One of the bears turns and and walks up to you. It gives you a regal nod, almost, and then turns his head and gives you this come here gesture. I, I follow. So this bear takes you into the front entry of this monastery. It's not a very big front entry. This place was never designed to be opulent. But the bear walks into this little door, turns around, and it just raises a paw, like, wait a second. And the door, he sort of nudges it closed with his nose. And you hear some shuffling, and then the door opens, and there's there's no bear. There's a man in a robe. Okay. He's got a shaved head, absolutely bald. His mutations appear to be almost a muzzle that sort of pulls his face forward, his jaw forward, and his nose forward. And he says, Greetings. I am one of the brothers at the monastery. You'll have to forgive us normally. Well, the other two brothers have taken a vow of what we call it exclusivity. It's sort of like a vow of silence. They will remain in their bare forms. How can I be of assistance? She starts by introducing herself. She says, please, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Sable Mirkwood, and I am a druid and fascinated with your skill. I see. You must be here for, well, uh, the gentleman in the back. I likely am. Do you do you study the land? Mm, not probably in the way that you do. I garden with my brothers. We have made a sustainable world here where we live separate from the villainy of the city. She nods, and it's clear that that's a nod of agreement. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, I get it. Oh, you're my people. (laughs) But if your question is, do I know magic? Well, not really. I have been gifted with this power, as were those who came before me, and for as long as I remain in my bare form, I don't age. So when the thorns came up, this was our method of survival. Fascinating. If it is rude of me to ask, uh, forgive me, but who gifted you this power? I negotiated it with a intermediary. The local fairy queen is sort of the self-styled god of this power, but... Uh, There is a winter court fairy here who was able to make contact on my behalf. He frequently rescues those he finds lost in the thorns nearby. That's... that's lovely. 
Yes, I believe you need to meet him. I, I would be interested, yes. Follow me. She'll follow. She's taking in this place because, I mean, this is like, wow, people living with nature and not dealing with fucking court. That's cool. <laughs> so this man is not used to talking. Yeah, it's clear. He'll give you 15, 20 second pauses before he says words, just normally. But he'll lead you into the back of the monastery. There are several small cubbies that look like they have been converted from what once was a place where people would sleep mm. to a place where people who are bears now sleep. Right. So they're just <laughs> nests of fuzz, bear fur, and bramble that have been shoved into these rooms. Every room has one robe. Looks like they're truly ancient, just hanging. Most of them look completely unused. And he takes you back into this worship area, and this place... This is where it gets a little fucking weird. Okay. So you're imagining a very toned down set of benches and an altar. Mm -hmm. This room has been redone, if you will. It has some prayer mats that are lightly, inartfully woven branches on the ground. And the walls are covered in anatomically correct beating human hearts. Ooh. And sitting where the altar normally is, uh, is a short man? Wait, before you describe this, when you say that they're beating human hearts, are these drawings that are actually moving? No, these are literal, anatomically accurate human hearts. Wow. Made of meat, bloodlessly pulsing on the walls. They're just hanging there? Are they in jars? Are they... They appear to be just sitting on shelves that have been added. It looks like someone turned the old benches into shelves by bolting them to the walls. Wow. And so there's just a couple of shelves of beating hearts. Holy shit. Is there like hundreds, thousands? There's a couple dozen. And sitting where the altar normally is, is a, a short human man with this gorgeous blonde hair. And he looks up when you come in and you see this gigantic tear roll down one of his eyes. And he says, welcome to the den of the heart render. How can I be of service? She says, thank you. My name is Sable Mirkwood, and I have come to speak to you. Are you all right? Yes, I am better than you could possibly know. Then why do you cry? I have been waiting for you for a very long time. Me? Yes, you. Why me? I have a gift for you. But we'll get to that. You came here with business, and business is what we fairies do when we are not distracted by other things. Oh, you earlier said a short human. Well, he declares himself a fairy in yeah, front of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you may, however, roll me an intelligence saving throw now that you have been clued in that what you're looking at is probably an illusion. Oh, you mean to be able to see beyond it? Yes. So, 21. 21, holy crap. Okay. Yeah, I rolled an 18. When he says it's a fairy, you realize, like, oh... I'm probably looking at a glamour, a fairy illusion. And you stare at it for a bit, and it starts to lose substance. And what is actually sitting here is a, a man in the shape of a tree, or perhaps a tree in the shape of a man. Bark skin, little branches for fingers. He has hair, but it's sort of like green vines with dried leaves. Browns, not autumn reds, running down his back. Where his chest is, 
you can see through the illusion, there's this big knot, like a hole in the front of this tree, and dangling inside of it is a pulsing human heart. This one is tied there with red ribbons. That is what he truly looks like. He's still short. He's not tree-sized. But it, it is clearly a living plant. Sable says, I, I have come to ask, I mean, and then the weight of what she might be seeing is hitting her. <laughs> <laughs> and she just takes a step back and sits down on the ground and looks back up and says, how long have you been waiting? Mm, since about two weeks after you were born. <sighs> I haven't been keeping track of time here. Every day is much like the rest. Whose heart do you carry? Mm. This is the heart of Valeria Varathi. We traded. I have hers, and she has mine. Is she gone? She's not here, but she's not gone. The magic of a heart pact means that each one of these people is still here. Even if their body has expired, that is why I keep them. Even after the form they took in life is gone. So her form is gone? For now. But as long as you have her heart, one could always bring her back. It still beats. Therefore, she is still alive. Sable doesn't have any idea how to react on this. She is pretty stunned. I think beyond any emotional response at this point, she is just staring at the ground. Her brain has gone to fuzz at this point, and she is completely unable to speak. The tree man says, Sean, would you kindly bring some tea? And the, the man in the robe who has backed off to the door and has been standing quietly just nods and turns to get the tea. Let's do Jalen. Where are you headed? She's going to stop by the silversmith, and she's going to pick up those silvered crossbow bolts, and she's going to mm -hmm. tip him a couple of silvers and things because he let her cut in line. I know he said he was returning a favor, but she's pretty grateful for it. And then she's also going to go to the wig maker, and she's finally going to pick up her wig. Yeah, so your hair has been turned into a wig. Go ahead and roll me a d20. <laughs> Is this how well it fits? <laughs> they did measure her head. They did measure her head. One. So the wig is of very high quality. It was made by an expert. And it was made with your hair, so it looks like it belongs on your head. However, it is not the hairstyle you would have chosen. But it's changeable, right? With work, yes. With you work. have to be very careful. <laughs> you definitely don't want to cut your wig because it's not growing back. Right. Is it still long? Yes. Okay, it's still really long. Okay, but it's probably shorter because she could give like her whole head of hair. But okay, great. If they'll help her just fit it on her head for now so she doesn't have to go around with her hood up, she'll do that. Nope, yep, they'll get it. They'll get it onto your head. You don't love it, but you can work with it. I can work with it. Out of character, she actually prefers the shaved head to mm -hmm. having a head of hair, but she knows that there's a practicality for having the wig. It's going to take some while getting used to it because it's just a little itchy. Yep. And then she's going to go to House Evans and find Lord Evans. Okay. Yeah, you, you get to House Evans pretty quickly. It's the second closest manor to the city. So you arrive and he seems to be waiting for you. Oh. When you come in, he's sitting in the front study where he normally takes guests. And he waves you over and says, uh, Jalen, please come here. Have a seat. Yes, sir. I need your attention on a detail immediately. Does he look upset? 
He looks a little pale. Okay. She says, is something wrong, Lord Evans? Yes, your sister got married last night. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, oh. It's bad, Jalen. To uh, Iris Lunari? Yes, I assume sounds like you've heard the rumors. Well, I knew that they had met and hit it off. Yes. I didn't know she was... Wow. She's going to try to look serious about this, but she thinks it's fucking hilarious. And she says, sir, it's more or less what we wanted. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't, 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 don't misunderstand me. I'm, <laughs> I'm not upset that she married someone that just doomed her socially. Honestly, that's the best possible outcome we could have hoped for. <laughs> Remember, marry her laterally. Don't try to marry her up. We talked about this. My problem is a little different. And he, he actually gives a little sniff. He, he looks on the edge of tears and he says, I am, for political reasons, going to have to appear to be quite upset about this outcome, and I cannot attend her ceremony. Lord Evans, that's ridiculous. Yes, well... No, listen to me. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, I I understand it's ridiculous. It is, however, the reality that I am going to have to accept. Do we have ears around, or is it? Or are we like alone? You seem to be alone. The nice thing is you don't always have to worry about being overheard at House Evans because your house is full of rogues, rogues and spies. She's gonna come over and sit next to him on the couch where she can speak to him softly and say, "Lord Evans, House Lunari is being elevated to the nobility." I'm. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> Last night was eventful, sir. I have a lot to tell you, and I think it might alleviate the situation a bit for you. All right. Sir, there's... You're going to get an invitation from Harriet Mentor. She's going to ask you for a meeting today, and she is going to ask you to lay out our business plan, again, the one that you laid out for her father. And she's going to hear you out with a more open mind. And when it comes to it, when you have to either throw your support behind House Mentor or House Farathi, I would very strongly suggest you side with House Mentor. Roll me persuasion. No advantage? No. <laughs> Papa's in some turmoil at the moment. Yeah. Oh, Papa. That's a 15. 15? He says, I will, I'll see how she reacts. She can't make a call now. But bear in mind, what we're talking about is for a long game in the future, and she will be making this call in the future. Yes, okay, fine. I appreciate that we're able to talk about this. And the Lunaris are elevated, then. Are they barons? They're barons. My god. Okay. That changes things slightly. Mm Mm-hmm. Iris is definitely far from the family line, but it makes this slightly less disgraceful. Sir, I think it's the best possible outcome we could have wished for. And since they are elevated, she has not disgraced the Evans family by marrying him. There's no reason you can't give your daughter away at the ceremony. Well, I have bad news. She didn't invite me or anyone else, actually, when she got officially married. Yeah, there's going to be a reparation for that. She's married, but the damage is done there. But we can still do a big, fat fucking party. And you're going to be there, and you're going to get to play your part as her dad. And that's that. You tell him, Jalen. 
he sits quietly and stares pensively at the floor and says, Jalen, this changes a lot of things. I mean... I know. She's removed herself from any any justification where she could take over the household, which frankly is a relief in a lot of ways. <laughs> but it, it changes a lot of things. I mean, it, if you marry a poor Nino, I can only give the guild to Jessica, and she's... Not true. Okay. I am marrying, hopefully marrying, the third poor Nino child. He is not going to inherit his house. He can inherit this house. Let Lynn run House Evans. What will I do with Leslie? And let me run the legal guild. Okay, but well, I can't, I can't pass up Leslie for, for for this. And obviously, Leslie gets some dibs here, sir. But if what you're talking about is giving the house to me, then what you're actually going to do is give it to Lynn. But I agree, Leslie would be the far wiser choice. Leslie doesn't want the house. You know that for sure. Yes. Leslie will take the house if it's forced on them, but they don't want it. It's not what they're after. Having to work through skinning and leatherworking documents will completely eliminate their true passion. Yes. Float by them the idea that Lynn could do that. All right. And I will need to have a, well, an interesting conversation with Lynn. I'm going to prepare a formal party, and I'm... I'm still going to give the impression that I'm upset about this, but maybe maybe the Lunarias will throw it for me, and I can still show up. Nobody knows how to party like the Lunarias, sir. <laughs> Nobody knows how to party like the Lunarias. That's actually our, our tagline. Yeah. <laughs> you get those little bees buzzing. There's little butts on them. It's on every bottle of Lunari meat. <laughs> she says... Lord Evans, you understand the court decorum behind this better than I do, but I don't think there's going to be much face to save here. It's okay. He gives this big, exaggerated sniff, and two tears roll down his eyes. Oh, here. She pulls out a hanky. <laughs> hands it to him. And he says, Jalen, my baby got married. And he pulls you in for, like, this big hug and is just uh, sobbing. Uh, oh, weird. I mean... <laughs> she hugs him back and says... Well, you knew she was never even going to do that by the book, sir. <laughs> he nods. And, you know, she wouldn't be Jessica if she would. When you get a chance, could you stop by socialize? I'm pretty sure she's having her own party there right now. <laughs> I'm sure she is. When did she get married? Was this yesterday? Last night. Last late. night. It was an eventful night. Yes, I heard there was some shenanigans at the Capitol, but the rumors are insane. Yes, they'll settle down again, I'm sure, but... No, I mean, like, literally insane. Like, the sun came out, and there was a, a beast in the courtyard, and Byron Mason assaulted six people? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean... None of this is possibly true. Byron is the sweetest man. It wasn't Byron. Just, uh, sir, the rumors are going to fly about this, and you know how the rumor mill is. It was not Byron. I will just say that. Well, obviously, but... Something clearly happened. Meet with Harriet today. Fine. I'll I'll go into court. He stands up and says, Pack the cart. And you see some servants just run off. Uh, what do you want me to say to Jessica? Tell her that I am very upset and also completely thrilled. And I'll see her at House Lunari as soon as I can arrange a proper party. Okay, I'll do that. Aw, oh, the sweet look on your face, Mandy! <laughs> 
She's thrilled. She's so fucking thrilled. Major problem <laughs> sort of took care of itself. Vanessa Lunari will be scandalized. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Lord Evans. <laughs> Sofa, what did you do? The best thing. <laughs> the best thing ever. And then she's going to go talk to the gardener and plant some seeds in these pots that he's hopefully got prepared for. Yeah, I mean, the gardener has never received a letter from a carrier pigeon before, so he got it and snapped to attention immediately and is thrilled that someone seems to have noticed his work. (laughs) (laughs) What's his name? Steve? No, we already had a Steve. Go ahead and name him. We had Stinky Steve. We don't want to go there. Yeah, we don't want to go there. there. Jerry. All right. All right. She goes, you, you do good work, Jerry. I know that's not really one of the focuses of House Evans, but you do do good work. You should know that. Well, thank you. I try. These are willow tree seeds. At some point, my friend Sable is going to come and help with this project. But for now, just keep them watered and warm. And please have half of them delivered to House Farathi. Yes, absolutely. And she's going to write up instructions for Yennefer because she, she's figuring we're not going to have time to see to this before we leave again. So mm-hmm. she's going to write out some direct instructions for Yennefer, say, cast plant growth on this, plant them along your thorn line. Maybe in the opposite order. Well, if she has the cluster pot, she can pl- cast plant growth on all of them at once yeah. and only have to cast the spell once. But You can assume the extremely high-level druid will figure it out. Yeah, she'll figure that one out. You can write okay instructions and get away with yeah, it. Yeah, so she's going to write the instructions and seal that up and send that along with them. And yeah, in, in the meantime, she's going to say, just take care of the seeds, keep them warm. They'll sprout at some point, and my friend Sable will also help at some point. Yeah, this is great. Willow trees would make a wonderful addition to the... To the prairie. Property. Yeah. I mean, we'll have a nice, lovely willow grove at some point. Yeah. Well, I I mean, they're good cover, I guess. Uh, Well, thanks, Jerry. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for doing this in a pinch. Jerry sort of confusedly gets to work, but it seems really happy that he's been acknowledged. Mm -hmm. Yep. Silva, so you've finished your hallway conversation. You've finished your conversation with Harriet. What is Silva's first agenda item? I think Silpha will coordinate with whoever she needs to coordinate with and head off to working on persuading the Masons to side with the mentors in a Lord's Council and seeing to Byron's safety. So, yeah, she's headed to House Lunari. Okay. Did you want to meet with Leslie first, or are you going to let that happen later? If... Leslie bumps into her, because I don't imagine that Silpha can find Leslie if Leslie doesn't want to be found, then that's fine. Good news, Leslie does want to be found, and you can knock on Leslie's guest room door, and the door will swing open immediately. And Leslie's there, and even through the illusion, Leslie looks really tired, like she spent all night pacing in this room. And she says, Silpha, please, please come in. Of course. You look really tired. Oh, sorry. And they adjust their hat, and the illusion intensifies, and they look just fine. <laughs> Sylpha's like, you don't have to lie to me, baby. <laughs> I, It's been a tough night. Do you think Harriet's just trying to rattle my cage? Is it, What the hell does she want to accomplish with a marriage contract? Well, who wouldn't want to be married to the most clever person in the kingdom? The most I can say for her is at least she recognizes your talent. Yes. Well, and she has a point, Silpha, that the next best person in line, frankly, is, is Faust Pornino, and the man's a dumbass. Just, he thinks with his lower brain, if you know what I mean. He, There's no chance that he would be a good marquee or regent 
frankly. This mm. pitch sounds like it would be the best thing for the kingdom, and I hate Harriet. And you don't want the title of Marquis? No. No, I don't. Well, I spoke to Harriet this morning, and we had a very productive conversation, I think. So, you asked for two weeks. Why don't you see how this evening's gathering pans out? All right. All right. I... I would like to bring Archibald Mason into the Thorns. You trust your mentor enough? I will admit I am concerned because, well, it's not the introduction of more magic into the kingdom I necessarily worry about, but having another unknown quantity, much like Yennefer Verathy, I, I don't know what that looks like. But I do trust your judgment. He has a gift that I want. He has something you want. Yes. He has something I want very badly. and. Most of what I do for him, most information I have sent him, has been to obtain this present. And so I would like to bring him in, but he will completely change the politics at House Mason. And so I am really torn. On one hand, I think I can use him as leverage to get the title I've always wanted. But on the other hand, I'm tired of waiting. As I said, why don't you see how this evening's gathering resolves? I spoke with Harriet about acknowledging her own shortcomings and ceding the spymaster position to the most qualified individual. Oh, well, thank you, Silpha. That means a lot to me. And gives this big sniff and says, oh, I'm clearly very tired. Can I, can I just give you a hug and Aww. I need to go to bed? Of course. Did you notice that she did her makeup before she came to see you, Leslie? Leslie might be too tired for such details. Yeah, Leslie's clearly spent all night obsessing about this problem and did not come to a conclusion, but pulls you into a big hug and says, Silpha, you are wonderful. And I... Please don't be offended that I'm considering Harriet's offer. It's not... It's not about you. It's... We have to do something. Mm. As I told Harriet, I am aware of the nature of royal marriages and the politics regarding them. I have already suffered the outcome of the politics regarding royal marriages once already. I'm sorry about that too, Silpha. Byron really does seem like a nice man. And that's one of the reasons why I did not pursue a public formal courtship with you. All right. Look, I'm sure I can figure this out. I just need maybe some sleep and a couple more hours of time to think about it. And I think Silpha will grab Leslie's face at this point and, and give her a kiss. Aww. Aww. And then she whispers in her ear, I'm perfectly capable of politics too, cheating at it even. And Leslie says, you tease. I have to go to bed though. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for an ad. So we're about to have a problem. I look at Helena. So Ophelia made it. Well, so Ophelia's got to attack House Mason. What? Yeah, she's got to lead the attack on House Mason. It's an what, order. What, what attack on House Mason? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know what she's planned, but uh, we should probably stop her. Kylan leans in and says, well, all you have is these pixies and no idea where she is. 
Jalen announces, I have just the thing to bribe these pixies. She pulls out a honey orangeade from Bozorth Beverages. The pixies are so thrilled they offer to solve the situation for just a few sips. The day was saved. Go forth in Bozorth at bozbev.com. It's time for fairy facts. Let's talk about hags. Hag is a shortening of the word for witch and are always appearing as these sort of shape-shifting old women. In truly ancient times, these were gods in mortal disguise, and they were somewhat of a mixed bag of good and evil power hidden among mortals. They were often caring for children and punishing men. Over time, in the introduction of one-god religions, they tend to get demoted to fairy creatures, demons, or just old witches, depending on which part of the world you're in. There's something compelling about the old woman, though, as a deceptive creature, because hag myths can be found across the entire world. We're going to zoom in a bit for just a second on a few of the most fairy-like options. Jenny Greenteeth, Grindylow, or Peg Powler. All of these are green hags who haunt lakes, bogs, and rivers for the specific purpose of drowning children. In this form, hags are solitary creatures made of stagnant pondotritis in the shape of an old woman, and the story is constantly told to warn children from playing near the water. While legends change the size and shape of green hags, they're generally associated with patches of duckweed or similar vegetation where a thin layer of floating plants blocks view into the water. There are many other types of hags over the world, and Dungeons & Dragons has changed their creature type accordingly over the editions as they target one myth or another. The rules of how to deal with hags change from their location, but since we started with water hags, well, they're the easiest to avoid. Don't swim alone, and don't leave children unattended by the water. There you have it. Back to the show. I'm going to switch gears then for travel time, and we're going to go back to the monastery. So as the monk leaves to get tea, she looks up at what she now knows is her father and says that they're right you do have gorgeous hair <laughs> thank you <laughs> i pride myself on that particular glamour i used to really rely on it here it matters very little i like it under the glamour too thank you oh i can see the family resemblance <laughs> in your eyes only your eyes she yeah and Oh, 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 In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel just became uh, Mirkwood and Sable's song. The light, the heat. <laughs> she is going to ask a question that she has never, ever, ever wanted to ask anybody, and it's going to be hard for her, and very likely there's going to be tears in her eyes when it happens, which is something that she has very much trained herself out of doing, is crying because she doesn't know if her tears are poison. So she'll be fighting it, but it'll be there. And she says, did, did I kill her? Was it me? No. No, it was not you. Then what? Or who? I'm not sure how to answer that question. <sighs> but I think it was me. My heart bound her in a way that we did not predict. When I took on her heart, I gained many things. Love, fear. When she took on mine, she lost all of those things. <sighs> and the agreements she made became her nature. As if she were nothing more than just another fairy. And so there was nothing she could do. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, I am sorry as well. I have a hundred thousand questions and I don't know if I want the answers to any of them. Well, I'm not going anywhere. But I suspect you didn't come here to talk to me. I didn't know you were here. 
Yes. At least not you, you, the part connected to me, you, you, all this time when I was sitting in corners Save with everybody me. telling me that I killed both of you. No, no, you did not. I killed both of us. She sighs and says, I doubt that the truth is that easy. No, I'm sure there are some who would argue differently. And while your mother's heart has given me the ability to lie, I can assure you this is how I see it. Mm, I believe you. I have a little of that tendency myself. Has anyone ever told you that you sound like the trees? Yes. Well, in a way, I am a tree. Mm -hmm. So, have you met your brother yet? What? <laughs> I'll take that as a no. That would... Well... You can't just stop there. Yes. Uh, I've lost track of him. But who is he? Well, that's a good question, actually. He'd be about 110 in your years, so I don't know. I was hoping that he found you, though. Is this Valeria's first child? Oh, no. No, this is my first child. Uh, your half-brother. Well, so who was the mom? Well, I regret to say this, but this was back when I still had a fairy heart, and... Well, I don't remember her name. She wasn't important. Oh, this is dumping a lot on me. You know that, right? Well, I'm afraid, yes. Let's... Let's try to do the business that you came here to do. Oh, holy shit, she says. And when the monk comes back and offers her tea, she just waves it off. He'll set it next to you. So, business. She pinches her nose, the bridge of her nose, and just gives herself a second to concentrate and get back into the mind that set that she was in when she came here. When she came here, she was, okay, I don't know if I'm going to have to fight my way to this person. I don't know if I'm going to have to fight them. I don't know what I'm going to have to do. This was absolutely 100% not anything that she ever expected. So she's just trying to put that calmness back on her, and she's not succeeding at it very well. But she does go back into the business, and she said, they told me, or rather, Whistles told me, that there was a creature here named Heartrender. Heartrender is not a name. It's a job. Mm. It's a title? A profession. Do you do it for the Fairy Queen? I do it because it was in my nature. For anyone who pays the price, I can remove their heart, give them a new one, or a fake one, or a different one. Mortals who suffer heartbreak are my customers. They come when they are in too much pain, and I remove it. I think you have one of great import to the kingdom right now. That of Yennefer Varathy. Ah, my first great mistake. It is for this heart that your grandmother hates me. How is she doing, by the way? She's dead. Oh, I wish I could say this saddens me. <sighs> she uh, defied the fairy queen and was taken down. Just like her grandmother before her. Mm, really? Yes. Well, she put all of the all of her requirements in my lap mm. when she died. Yes. Well, your family realized about 200 years ago that the Fairy Queen wasn't the best for them. They started taking actions against her. It's unfortunate it came down to this. And he'll stand up and walk over to one of the shelves and pick just a random heart up. There's nothing special about it. It's just a, a beating heart. And walks over and sits down and says, this is hers. Can you tell me why she bargained it away? 
Yes. She knew that the only way to defeat the fairies was to become one, and so she did. She traded away her heart for the heart of a fairy, and I gave her that. It allowed her to make deals that were previously not available to her, and so she intended to learn the Fairy Queen's secrets in order to destroy her. And I suspect that she will fail, because the Fairy Queen is many millennia old and has been at this game far longer than an upstart like Yennefer Marathi. Well, I fear that Yennefer will destroy our kingdom before that happens. She may, but if you give this back to her, well, it'll change the way she thinks. Well, I can't charge you for it. He hands it to you. Mm. Is it warm? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually imagine Sable wouldn't be squicky about no, that. No, she's not squicky about it, but Sandra is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I think any of us would be, but I'm not sure Sable I'm would be. I'm pretty sure that Sable has skinned a, her share of animals in her time. If you touch it to her chest, the magic will reverse. The agreement will be void and the heart will return to her. What kind of person was she before? Will this make her better or worse? Uh, before, she was someone worthy of power. And now she is someone who has it. Hmm. And there is a big difference. Sable nods. I think you will prefer the version of Yennefer who has a heart. I don't know that this heart will dissuade her from her agenda to destroy the Fairy Queen. Why did my matron hate you for this one in particular? Yennefer is your matron's grandmother. Oh. And your matron believes that I personally played a hand in destroying her. Believed. And your matron is quite correct. Well, my matron is dead now. By her own hand, whether she says it or not. I put little faith in her words anymore. She was an interesting woman. Powerful beyond the comprehension of most people. Her mind didn't quite work like a normal person, though. She was more like a fairy than any other mortal I've met before. That's why I decided to work for her. I found her very interesting. And that is, of course, when I met your mother. Mm. She was the most interesting of any mortal I have ever encountered. Rumor has it that you had to make a deal to make me. Your mother made a deal to make you. Then how did the other one... How do I have a brother? Changelings are extraordinarily rare. There are only three allowed per generation. The queen wished for as many as possible to be in her kingdom, and she has negotiated for them from the other courts regularly. Who has them is a point that she can occasionally dictate. And so your mother wanted this one to be hers. Mm. And your brother was just the confluence of events. When last I saw him, he was a sage at the castle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then he may still be at the castle. Perhaps. Changelings live a long time. It's likely he'd still be alive. We have his name somewhere. I don't know. Drossel. 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 He's also Kylan's third mark. Mm -hmm. Then I think I know who he is. Ah, did he come to you? No, no, he's in the castle. And if he is who I think he is, then the queen has sent her hound after him. You know he chose not to be a fairy or a mortal. Then that's him. He took the middle path. And the middle path is interesting. It meant that my status as the Winter Court didn't transfer to him. He's vulnerable. Right. The look on Zabel's face is really grim. 
I never thought that I would meet you. I very deliberately did not think about meeting you. Fairies aren't great for mortals. I have chosen to stay away. And while I regret that every day, I still think it's best. I wasn't expecting to meet you either. Can I ask you a favor? One that I have no right to ask. You can ask. If you are your mother's child, I'm certain you will excel in her magics. And when you have reached the point where you can bring someone back from death, I would like to give you your mother's heart. Then what will happen to you? I am unworthy of it. There will be no me. My heart has already died. I can't make any promises this soon. I do not require a deal, Sable. From where I sit, I am in your debt for a good long while. That gets tears welling up in her eyes. She wipes them away and says, Damn it. All right, I've got to go save a kingdom or something. <laughs> I will be here. Yeah, she says, rubbing her forehead. I'll see if I can't save your other son, too, while I'm out there. I can give you something that might help. Yeah? And he stands up and walks over and pops a little drawer open and pulls out a locket. It is a little heart-shaped, fake heart, not an anatomically correct heart-shaped locket, and hands it to you and says, I made this special. It contains a piece of my magic and a piece of your mother's. It will protect you. It will keep you safe. And it can guide you to your brother if you wish. Or me at any time. She clearly understands the weight of that gift. It takes her a moment before she she just looks at it. And she closes her hand around it slowly and says, Thank you. To be a changeling is a heavy burden. Do you, do you still have the immortality of the Fae? I have not aged since I got here. She just wraps her arms around him then and hugs into his chest. There's this intense warmth coming from the center of this tree. The rest of him is kind of cold. And bark-like. She doesn't care. She's a tree hugger. <laughs> yeah. It's a scratchy tree-hugging moment. <laughs> yeah, he hugs you back and says, I'm afraid I don't deserve this hug, but I will always be here to give you one if you come back. Oh. Aww. She steps back away from him and says, I don't think any affection is about deserving. Can I give you one last piece of fatherly advice in case you don't return? Yes. To be a fairy is to give up those things that we cherish most about humanity. And to be a human is to accept a great number of limitations. As a creature who has done both, I cannot tell you which one to choose. But being a fairy isn't all it's cracked up to be. She nods. Good luck. Thank you. I... And she turns and walks out. <laughs> As she gets to the door, she'll be like, if I see him, I'll say hi from you. He, does he know you? No. I'll say hi anyway. <laughs> and then she's going to leave and turn back into an animal. And she'll fly straight over to the Rathi estate. Let's stop at Jalen. Jalen, what's next for you? Yeah, she leaves Lord Evans and or leaves the gardener and she heads to House Pornino. And she deliberately aimed for the afternoon because she's assuming they sleep all morning at this point. It's a fair bet. When you arrive, you actually, it's still quiet. You're pretty sure they are still asleep. But when you get there, Lynn is actually one of the few people who is up and wandering around. 
he appears to be practicing with his sword next to this big dummy. Named Faust. You big dummy. Oh, so she wants to sneak up on him. She's going to watch him for a little bit, and then when he gives the dummy a little bit of room, she's going to pull out a knife and throw it at the dummy. Okay. And sink it in. I don't think you need to roll for that. You're a hero, and it's uh, an unmoving object. So yeah, you sink it in, and he, he jumps. He's clearly <laughs> a little tired. He doesn't see you. And spins around, and he, he gets this big smile on his face. And he says, Jalen. Lynn, good morning, afternoon. Ah, I can't tell you how happy I am that you've stopped by. How's it going? Well, sounds like there was an attack at the Frikers last night. We got there very late. It was dead already. Some sort of insect creature. She's nodding slowly and absolutely not surprised. But it did mean we were up all night patrolling. And, well, I've had trouble sleeping, but uh, I got a few hours in. There was another attack at House Mentor at the same time. Well, a little later. Hmm. We've been asleep this morning. We didn't hear. Father's going to be... There's a lot of news coming your way today. Okay. I guess I'm going to need to wake Father up and get him moving towards the capital. Well, I'd like to talk to you first. Both of you. Uh, okay. Well, come on. A messenger said you were coming by and I let my father sleep. But just a second. And he'll walk up, and he doesn't drop you off at a study or anything. He basically holds your hand and pulls you along with him the whole way. If you're, Aww. Unless you put up a fuss. Nope, she didn't fuss. But he goes straight to the bedroom door, just knocks on it, and you hear, come in. And he swings the door open and kind of pulls you in. This will be an interesting awakening for them. <laughs> Lord and Lady Pornino are looking quite tired. Their armor is just scattered on the ground around the bed. They clearly came in and collapsed. Their weapons are lying on the table where they'd normally eat breakfast. And they sit up in bed and they're, they're clearly wearing the under armor that looks just gross from riding all night in heavy armor. And Lynn's father rubs at his face and says, Jalen! Lord Pornino, lady? In a normal situation, I might be upset, Lynn. And Lynn says, well, it's not a normal situation. The Capitol was attacked last night. And he says, oh my god, when is this going to end? Well, I don't know that I can give you tidings of it ending, but I might be able to give you some tidings of it changing, if you'll hear me out. Oh, absolutely. Nearly family at this point. <laughs> is there a place to sit? There is, so you probably have to shove a bow and arrow out of the way, but there's a chair. She won't shove it out, she'll like... Yeah gently move it. Respect other people's weapons. Weapons mean a lot to her, so she knows they mean a lot to other people, too. And she'll sit down and she'll say, there was the attack at House Frikers, which we mitigated before it was too serious. Just the one horse got destroyed, and that oh, was awful. That was you. We didn't destroy the horse. No, no, I assume not. Thomas tried his best to take credit. Yeah. That's fine. Just let him take it. We didn't really want to be caught there. Uh, I imagined, but anyway, it was evidently clear that Thomas Drury did not destroy what was left behind. He's got a lot of heart. Well, he's a good kid. But his heart's bigger than most other parts of him. So. That little kid, he's just got so much moxie. <laughs> he's just so fucking adorable. And so we went to the Capitol to wake up Lord Mentor to tell him of what was going on, and... There was an attack there as well, and the nature of that attack is going to have some wider implications because there were a lot of witnesses who... She looks around, and she says, how secure is this room, sir? 
Most secure room in the house, and it's early enough. The servants were all up last night, too. I suspect we're alone. I assume, given your family and what you do, that you know what a fetch is. He nods and says, yes, absolutely. These attacks have been the work of fetches whose fey magic has been exploited to make them uncommonly powerful. He's going to roll his knowledge nature skill. And he says, that's, I, I mean, theoretically that was possible. I didn't realize that it would ever happen. The fetch that was attacking House Mentor last night was made to look like Byron Mason. Oh, that's going to be a big problem. The real Byron Mason is currently staying at House Lunari at the estate, and the mentors are very concerned that we have him protected. The Masons are down to two champions. House Evans has lent them another two. I wondered if you could spare some of yours, your knights. Yes, absolutely. This is the work of fetches. We... We are at war with the Fairy Queen, I guess. No, this is not the Fairy Queen, Lord Pornino. This is Yennefer Verathi. I see. There's going to be a Lord's Council tomorrow. We are spending today making sure that that vote goes in favor of House Mentor and not House Verathi, which is paddling a bit upstream considering what Yennefer Verathi has been up to at court. I have heard she's been promising a lot of people the moon and the stars. Jalen nods slowly. I will send two champions to House Lunari. And Lynn clears his throat and says, I would like to go defend Byron. He's an honorable man. And Lynn's mother says, House Lunari is not... I mean, their status doesn't dictate sending a, our own son. I... Uh, forgive me for saying, lady, but it actually does. House Lunari is being elevated to a barony. Wow. A lot changed last night. <laughs> it was an eventful evening. Oh, lady, you got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then yes, Lynn, we are sending you to House Lunari. Please make sure that Byron and his children are safe, and take some of your old toys from the the back storage study. And he'll nod and says, "Yes, I'll I'll get the little rocking horse and some other things." Aww. Jalen nods with approval about this. She says, it's a very sturdy rocking horse, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Only the best. Thinking of Annabelle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a rocking war horse. <laughs> a rocking war horse with full armor. <laughs> the rocking horses here are Clydesdales. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Little turn and say, I'll, I'll just go gather some things. I'll meet you out front. And he gives you a little peck on the cheek and... It looks like his mother was going to object and then just, like, she's too tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She'll go to take her leave of them, but before she goes, she'll say, My lord, my lady, get some real sleep. You and your family are no good, half dead. And then she leaves. All right. Lynn comes out with two big rocking horses under each arm and like a, a small bag of blocks Aww. and says, Let's pack a little cart. Okay. She'll help him do that. And you guys can head off to... House Lunari, I imagine. Well, I think since she's due back at the townhouse for dinner and meeting with Silpha and Sable, she'll probably send him on ahead and say, I'll catch up. We're going to switch over to Silpha. So, Silpha, you are arriving at House Lunari. You don't need to ding the bell because you live here. Mm -hmm. I 
Imagine that my mother has communicated the most pertinent information to the head of the house at this point. Yeah, I'm sure a runner arrived like two minutes after dawn with that information. So what is the scene unfolding as we arrive? So when you arrive, the place has gone back to work as normal. You don't see Melise and Gina, which normally they would be out basically working right alongside everybody else. So you check the study or Melise's office, and they're both crammed in this tiny, overfull study filled with perfectly manicured ledgers. And they look very concerned and appear to have a couple of old legal textbooks out reading through the law. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Silpha will rap on the door to announce her presence. They'll look up and say, come come in, come in. I assume you heard the news already. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Big news. We're actually trying to figure out exactly what it means. Neither of us went to finishing school, unfortunately. And Melise says, well, technically I did, but I don't remember a thing. It's been 25 years. It's been 25 years and I hated every minute of it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it occurs to you, Silpha, that they could hire a tutor now that they're actual royalty, mm -hmm. which clearly has not occurred to them yet as they are frantically reading through law books. Silpha will suggest it. You know, I am happy to help you in this regard. You might also contemplate hiring an, an expert to advise you. Hiring an expert. That, that is what a noble would do. And you see them both nod like, yeah, we can do that now. <laughs> and Melise and Gina simultaneously get this relieved look on their face and they turn around and say, this, okay, we've got a plan. <laughs> so did you have any other business? Only to see how I might assist you first. And then I need to attend to some business with the Masons. Oh, well, they're, they're back in the carriage house safe and sound feel free to head on out there we're good actually i'm gonna i'm gonna send off a note to ask tutors to apply and gina nods and says yes that that is what they do they have to apply to work for us this is cute <laughs> well i would remind you that my services are to some extent as free as i can make them thank you silpha and they they each grab your hand and give it a firm shake and then as Gina's walking away, Melissa says, no, no, wait, hold on. I did that wrong. And she turns around and gives you this really rusty curtsy. <laughs> like super rusty. <laughs> and Gina says, I'm not, I'm not doing that yet. <laughs> and Silphic rolls her eyes and says, I think we just keep things the way they've always been among family. And maybe save the theatrics for court. Gina gives you this hearty nod and a thumbs up. And the two of them hurry off, looking a little less flustered than when you arrived. Aw. You just want to pinch their cheeks. Out back, it is snowed basically all night. And not a heavy snow, but a small amount of snow over an extended period of time. There's quite a bit of snow on the ground now. There's a pile of things to rebuild the shed that have just been set aside. The detritus has all been cleaned up. Just past that is the Mason carriage house, which is not big enough to hold the Mason's as you walk up, the children are all out playing in the snow. There's like seven or eight of them, and Annabelle is a tank amongst the children, and so she's able to make this massive snowball, much larger than any other kid can make, and is hurling it, and you just see Toby screaming and running for his life. <laughs> not the wings! Not the wings! Oh, oh little Toby! Oh, just wait. <laughs> the kids are loving it. They made little snowmen. 
little snow fairies. You're pretty sure the one that Toby made is the one with wings. Yeah. <laughs> it occurs to me that if I took the tiny constructs spell, I could <laughs> animate Frosty the snowman. <laughs> Which would either be delightful for them or fucking terrifying. <laughs> or both. Hard to tell with kids. Hard to tell. Split 50-50. <laughs> the adults would freak out. <laughs> so... I think this is a good moment for Silpha to get people's attention. Instead of walking directly over to the Masons and finding out what they've learned about the night's events directly, she is going to instead dust some of the snow off these building materials and then begin setting up a spell. So she's going to mark out four runes in a kind of perimeter around all the building materials and then anyone with arcane knowledge would recognize the rune patterns that she's made as dealing with relating to the elements and energies of creation and Silpha examines her spell book stands back and cross-checks what she is working on with the diagrams that she has made out on the ground and then shortly thereafter she begins walking this perimeter while chanting and doing a set of it looks like some sort of very structured choreographed dance specific motions with specific chanting roll me arcana or history whichever is better for you they're probably the same they're the same so i rolled a 10 it's an 18 this goes flawlessly. The snow actually makes it really easy to do runes right now, and so you start working on this. The spell she is using will be Fabricate, and it takes 10 minutes to cast. So as she's walking this perimeter, I think some of the snow begins to melt, and there's like static in the air as somebody is pulling in magical energy, and she's using her body as a kind of conduit for raw magic which she is pulling out of the ether and now at this point it's rolling off of her body and filling these rune symbols she is using her body as a conduit and charging these runes like some kind of battery cool it looks like it's it's actually work it is physically strenuous she is absolutely focused and getting a little dewy as she builds a sweat going through these motions i think it takes maybe 30 seconds for all of the masons to pour out of the carriage house. Another 30 seconds after that, you've got a fair number of people from the manor house. And so you end up with 30, 40 people watching you do this. And I think the building materials themselves start to animate and stand up and snap into position. Nails are seen sliding in through the wood. Faint sounds of construction are there, but no tools are present. And so it gives off this bizarre ghostly vibe. As this whole building just comes together. With an 18, you assemble a hella good building. What does it look like? Given that there's a need for space with the, the masons staying there, I think she has constructed another carriage house. And it looks like a building that would appeal to Silpha. A gothic Victorian structure and harmonizes with the other buildings on our land. And it's not a stone, but there's a, a corner piece that has a magical s signature that's got a moth and a crescent moon, and it says, Made by Silpha. Year erected, Silpha Lunari. <laughs> so, because it's magic, the debris is reusable, along with all of the new materials, so you're actually able to build something bigger and better than that they were going to be able to do by hand, because you have more material. 
So you can easily slap together a beautiful brand new carriage house, give it a coat of paint and everything. And it takes 10 minutes, which at the end, every jaw in the whole outside area is just down. And once you've done waving your hands and the magic seems to have faded away, Lady Mason, with Byron's elbow firmly gripped, comes marching up to you, pulling Byron, and then she shoves him right up to you. And Byron says, Silpha, that was amazing. My mother extends her impressed, her her impression. Um, (laughs) He's struggling with words. And Lady Mason just says, I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Silpha is her last gesture was to get down on her knees and actually physically put her hands to the ground to spur the last of this construction and so she's dusting off the snow and is winded and claps the snow off her hands and just vaguely says to her family proof of concept executed i don't think i want to hear any more nonsense about dowries or the value i bring to a marriage contract (laughs) (laughs) silpha stopped giving fucks (laughs) there's just some nods and silpha just says to lady mason who says she's impressed Thank you. I was just hoping to show people the extent of what can be possible. And Lady Mason just nudges Byron really hard. And he, he says, um, Mother, I think I can do this without you. And she says, okay, uh, um, I'm just going to be back here. And she gives him this look, this very mother, like you better kind of face <laughs> and starts to step back. And Byron turns around and says, Silpha, my mother seems to feel that Lord Mentor's opinion about our courting could be reversed or irrelevant soon. And I would like to skip future courting and just go directly to the next phase. Silpha Lunari, I would be honored if you would be my fiancé. Oh man, you put me on the spot. And you hear a loud cough, and he turns around and scowls at his mother and pulls out a little ring box that she clearly picked up like yesterday. (laughs) And he pops it open, and it is opulent yet modest. <laughs> it is three freshwater pearls. Oh. oh. Spell components. Mm. Identify, identify, identify. No. Yes. Sorry, baby. I used this. Sorry, baby. I just don't trust you. No. <laughs> she used them to cast identify. Yes, it is three beautiful freshwater pearls, which are incredibly rare in this town, put onto a silver band, also not the most readily available metal. But you imagine that because there aren't that many casters around here, probably got a good deal on it. Therefore, it is opulent, yet modest. (laughs) You've just been waiting to justify that phrase, haven't you? (laughs) For two years, you have been Nearly waiting. 50 episodes, but I got there. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so I think Silpha feels very put on the spot. She wasn't expecting an immediate proposal. And so she gets this panicked look of terror for a split second before she realizes this man who's having trouble finding words and putting sentences together is probably just as put on the spot by his mother. So she is able to compose herself and handle things in the manner her mother might. 
So recalling the letter that she had written to Byron during their courtship, which contained lines of a poem describing a rose, she conjures the minor illusion of a rose that is cream white with a pink blush at its tips and appears to pull this from her her chest, from her heart, and she lays it across his where it disappears and says, Byron, you will always have a piece of my heart, but current circumstances make me unable to accept this commitment at this time. But I would love for you to revisit the question in the future. Byron nods, and he pulls the ring out of its little box, and he says, I know you're planning something, and I don't know how it's going to go, but if you don't come back, I don't really want this. And he puts it directly into your hands. Aww. Aww. He's a sweetie. And she's really flouting the rules of propriety a tiny bit. She will not kiss him on the lips, but she will kiss him on the cheek. I think you hear Toby say, Ew! (laughs) Good. And that is the end of our show today. Don't forget to leave us a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. We are happy to report that things are back on track here in publishing land. Stay healthy, people. Next up, what the heck will our heroes do with Yennefer? I mean, there's other things going on, but seriously, what are they going to do about Yennefer? Because I don't know. It might sound easy, but it's all improv, everybody. Find out next time on Carrots and Suffering, a D&D Odyssey. to not be endeared to somebody named Willie. He is either an old wizzled, you know, grizzled uh, drunk. <laughs> Wizzled. He's a Willie Wizzled. He's Wizzled Willie. He's either an old grizzled drunk or he's an adorable little kid. He's an adorable little kid now. He might be an old grizzled drunk one yeah. day. <laughs> In between that, he's going to go by Bill or William at some point. Yeah. Or Wizzle. He could go by Wizzle. He's going to go twizzle something right now. <laughs> Gee, oh Willie curse. He's too young. He's too young for that. One of the bears. They say, Care Bear stare. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of them shoots a, a chromatic. <laughs> she shoots a rainbow, rainbow out of its prismatic This has given me a whole new idea. <laughs> Care Bears, Wear Bears. <laughs> Care Bear, Wear Bears. <laughs>